Hey, it's Cody Woodard, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this message encourages you and helps you see that God wants to do something new in and through your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Renovation Church. Man, I'm so excited to celebrate this day with you. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, uh, my name is Cody Woodard. I get the honor and privilege to serve as a lead pastor here. And uh, who's excited to be in the house this morning? Hey, right now I want to welcome everybody that's watching online and I also wanna say a special welcome to all of our first time guests. Come on church, put your hands together. Thank you guys so much for joining us for Easter Sunday. Before you leave today, make sure you stop uh, stop on, on the way out at the Orange Tent. We got a gift for you. And uh, here's what's about to happen. If you're new to church, you haven't been to a, in a long time, you've never came to renovation. What's about to happen is for the next about three hours, I'm gonna preach to you, okay? I'm kidding. For about the next 30 minutes, I'm gonna, we're gonna have a conversation. And at the end, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to make a decision today. And then we're gonna end with a powerful, powerful song as a response to the good news of Jesus. And so before we dive in, can I pray for you? Father, I ask that today you pour out your spirit in this place, that this would not just be another Easter Sunday, that it wouldn't just be a day where we come once a year to celebrate the fact that you are risen. God, resurrection isn't an event, it's a person and that's you. So God, I thank you that you are the resurrection and the life, that there is no other way. And God, I thank you that while you saw us as sinners, as you, you saw us as broken, God, you, you came to earth, lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserve so that we can be forgiven and free. And so today we worship you for it, God. And we, we just ask that you would eliminate the distractions in the room. God, for those who are here asking questions, maybe they were invited by a friend. God, I pray they would know how much they're welcome here and how much we love them. And God, would you speak to, to all of us today? God, you say that your word is sharper than a double-edged sword and it pierces the heart. And so God, I pray that you would pierce our heart and change us from the inside out. Thank you for washing away our sin. May it not just be words that we sing, may it be words that we believe. We love you so much and in Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Hey, put your hands together if you're glad to be here again. Say hi to somebody. You guys can take a seat. Hey, what a powerful worship set. Can we give it up for our worship team today? Work grinding hard, working hard. Thank you guys so much for leading. Well, again, welcome to Renovation Church. And it's my honor and privilege today to get to stand um, with pastors all over the country, all over the world, uh, celebrating the fact that we have a God who loved us so much that came to the earth, was crucified on a cross, put in a tomb, but three days later, he is risen indeed. Can we make some noise for our risen savior this morning? And so again, if you're, if you're new to church, I want to say this, and I say this every single week. Our people will tell you that this isn't anything new, but maybe you came here today because somebody invited you. Maybe you saw a Facebook ad. Maybe you came yesterday as we dropped 20,000 Easter eggs from a helicopter, saw over 2,000 people come out. It was absolutely awesome. But what I want you to know is that you may have thought coming in here today um, that you was going to get struck by lightning because last time you was here, you was afraid that was going to happen too. But guess what? It's sunny and there ain't no lightning in the sky today. Amen. And, uh, and I just want you to know from, from the bottom of my heart that, um, that this really is a church you can belong before you believe. And uh, this is a special day and you're new, but let me just tell you, last year we had our first Easter, but we were online only. But this year it's our first Easter in person and I'm excited about it. I believe God is gonna move today. And uh, we're only a year and a half old as a church. My wife and I planted renovation here in Gallatin because we wanted people to know Jesus. We wanted to know the life-changing message of Jesus and 
And, and the last thing I want you to do is feel like this isn't a place that you can belong. And so whether you got questions today, whether you have doubts, I don't know why you're here, but what I do want you to know is that this is a place that you're welcome. And uh, we're just ordinary people. And uh, over this past year, one of the things that God has just taught me over and over and over is that he loves to use ordinary people to make an extraordinary difference. And so I don't know who you are. I don't know what you come in with today. But what I want to tell you is that God not only wants to speak to you, he wants to use you. And there's something that happens when ordinary people get in the presence of an extraordinary God. The impossible in your life all of a sudden becomes possible by the grace of God. And so what I want to do really quick is I just want to kind of talk through some ordinary people that you see God use throughout all of Scripture. And the first one that comes to my mind is a virgin teenager named Mary who he chose to birth the Savior of the world through. And I think about that Savior. I think about baby Jesus as he grows up and becomes a man at the age of 30. And he chooses to, to pick 12 ordinary guys. And these guys weren't people that you and I would have picked. Okay, these, these guys weren't the, the religious. They weren't the ones that had it all together. They weren't the pastors. These guys were tax collectors. These guys were fishermen. Like they were just your ordinary, ordinary people. And my favorite disciple, if I have to pick a favorite, I know Jesus didn't have favorites, but I got favorites. And uh, my favorite disciple, the one he picked, the, probably the most unlikely of the bunch was a disciple named Peter. And, uh, and, and when God picked Peter, um, and he saved Peter and he asked him to follow him. Peter's personality didn't change. Peter was still a loudmouth. Peter was this ordinary fisherman who God used to make an extraordinary difference. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, after the resurrection, what you see is Peter and John going up to the temple to pray. And there was this beggar there that was lame from birth that couldn't walk. And he was sitting by the gate asking people for money. And so as Peter and John walk up to the temple, he says, hey, guys, um, do you got any you got any money? And they said, no, nah, bro, we broke. Turn to the person next to you, say we broke. We broke. And hopefully you're not broke, but they were broke. And uh, if you are broke, that's OK. I feel you. Um, he says, we're broke. We don't have any money. But what we do have, we're going to give you. So in the name of Jesus Christ, I want you to rise up and walk. And all of a sudden, this man who had been lame since birth stands up and starts walking around. A miracle happens right before their very eyes. And the religious leaders are furious. They're mad because, see, Peter and John, they were just these ordinary guys. They didn't have all the authority. They didn't have all the schooling. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says this. When they, the, the religious leaders, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Th that phrase there, unschooled and ordinary, comes from a Greek word, idiotes. Anybody have an idea of the English word we get from idiotes? Idiot. Somebody say idiot. Turn to the person next to you and say, you look like an ordinary person. You look ordinary. He picks these ordinary, unschooled, idiot type of guys who, to do an extraordinary work. Like Peter was just this, this fisherman. He had a, a loud mouth. He had a bad attitude. He was fiery. He was reactionary. But he was a guy that was going to have your back. And so Jesus picks Peter and Peter's personality doesn't change. And so P Peter is following Jesus now. And on the night, on the day that Jesus was betrayed and the guards come to arrest him, this really interesting moment happens when they go and they start to try to arrest Jesus and grab at Jesus. And Peter's there. Peter pulls off his sword and cuts off the guard's ear. 
And, and I love what Jesus, Jesus is like, come on, Peter. Picks up the ear, puts it back on the guard. He's like, my bad, bro. You know what I'm saying? And, and what I love is like, Peter wasn't aiming for his ear. He was aiming for his head. Like Peter was a gangster with bad aim. And what I love about Jesus, when it happens, like, come on, bro, puts the, the ear back on Malchus's ear. And he's like, man, my bad, Malchus. Now, pause. If I was Malchus and I just had my ear cut off and the, and, and the guy that I was trying to arrest put it back on my head, I'd be like, no, nah, I'm going home to mama. Y'all can arrest Jesus. I got something else to go. This man just put my ear back on my head. I would like to hear today. Thank you very much. And what I love about that is G, like Peter's following Jesus at this time. He's a disciple. And what I love is that the thing that would have disqualified Peter to me and you doesn't disqualify Peter to Jesus. See, your sin doesn't disqualify you from your Savior. Let that sit in. Your sin doesn't disqualify you from your Savior. And, and what Jesus says next is really interesting. Because what Jesus does right after this moment is he, he tells Peter and predicts what's about to happen in his life. This moment where Peter was going to make the biggest mistake he had ever made. Like far worse than just cutting off your boy Malchus's ear. And let me just say this, because see, Peter, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, we got policies to work here and be on staff at Renovation Church. And Peter wouldn't be, a, be allowed to be on our staff. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you can't just cuss people out. You know what I'm saying? You can't go around with swords and just cut off people's ears. You can't deny Jesus, right? Like, if one of my staff members cuss off your ear, we're going to fire them. We're going to send them to counseling. We're going to love them from a distance. Amen? But like, what disqualifies people from us doesn't disqualify people from Jesus. And what happens is, is Jesus predicts this moment. And he, and he says, Peter, let me tell you what's about to happen. And he tells this to all of his disciples in Matthew 26. He says, tonight, all of you will desert me. But after I've been raised from the dead, I'm going to go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. So Jesus looks at all of his disciples. He says, all of you are going to leave me tonight. But when I resurrect from the grave, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Peter responds. He says, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. Peter said, no, even if I have to die with you, he's a little dramatic. Even if I got to die with you, I will never, somebody say never. never. I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Somebody say never. never. I've said that phrase a lot. I would never, I would never do that. I mean, maybe you, but never me. I used to say this a lot before I had kids. When we would be out at a restaurant and they was acting bad, I'd be like, I would never let my kid act like that in public. I'm gonna take him into the bathroom. I'm gonna give him a lesson. You know what I'm talking about? I would never. I remember I used to judge parents when they would sit at the dinner table and, uh, and I would see them and I would see their little kid just watching their iPad. I, I would never watch, let my kid watch an iPad. I would never. Yeah, until your two and a half year old screams bloody murder for 30 minutes and you trying to have a dinner and you tired of everybody looking at you. I would never. See, we, we get this confidence, don't we? And we think like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would never. You know, that word never comes from a Greek word, ume, which means never, no, never. It was a word that Peter made up, a phrase that he made up just to, to signify, to amplify his voice and say, I would never, no, never deny you. 
And see, you and I have the tendency to get this confidence where we look at around other people and we look at their marriage and we're like, oh, no, no, no. They, their marriage may be on the rocks, but my marriage, never. I mean, me and my wife, I mean, we wash each other's feet. We would never. <laughs> I would never. Like, they may struggle, but no, me, no, mm, never. We, we look at other people's situations and we go, you know, I, I don't get how somebody could be addicted to something like that. I would never. How can they just, how can they smoke that? How can they swallow that? How can they shoot that? Me? Oh, no, 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 no. Me? I would never do that. We look at other people's life and we're like, how, how can you be full of anxiety? How can you how can you be depressed? Me? No, never. I got the joy of the Lord. The, the scriptures say rejoice in the Lord always, Cody. It says always, not sometimes. I would never be depressed. See, it's easy to look at Peter when he says, I will never deny him and think, oh, no, no, no. Me? Never. Let me just warn you. Be careful judging me today because never might come knock on your door tomorrow. And what I came to do today is I came to, to, to talk to those of you who found yourself in a situation that you never thought you would be in. For years, you said, no, 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 me, never. Like, I would never struggle with anxiety. I'm 31 years old right now, but for some reason at night, my, my heart just keeps racing, and I thought I would never be here. I came to talk to those of you who I really believe you're here today, and, and you've walked in, and you thought, you know what? I could never change. I'll never be loved like that again. I'll never have hope. Maybe the, the word today that's been spoken over your life is never. And you've been told that you'll never be good enough. That you'll never be satisfied. That you'll never be happy. You know, I think what the enemy wants to speak over your life is that when you mess up, God would never love you. Because you failed, he'll never forgive. Like, you're such a screw-up, you're such a mess-up, you'll never be anything more than that. See, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The good news is, is that Jesus comes to give life and life to the full. And what the enemy wants you to believe is that God would never have anything to do with someone like you. But what Jesus says is, I didn't come for those who think that they're righteous, but know that they're sinners. I didn't come for those who think that they don't need a doctor. I came for those who know that they're sick. So I don't know about you. I'm thankful that I might be a little broken and I might be a little messed up because God came to save someone like me and you. Like, you and I, listen, we, we think that what we've done disqualifies us from our savior, that he would never love someone like you. Can I just tell you, when you say never and when God says never, it's two different things. God's never is different than your never. When God says he will never leave you nor forsake you, he means never. When he says that my love never fails, he means never. And see what the resurrection does is it it messes up our concept of never. Because what looks impossible to us that we believe could never happen. We've never seen someone raised from the grave. But with God, never means something different, doesn't it? And so I want to talk a little bit to those of you who have walked in and, and 
you thought you could never be different. You thought you could never be same. You thought you think that your, your marriage could never be healed. Your marriage never could be restored. You, you think that your kid that's far from God that you raised in church and you thought because you raised in church they would automatically believe what you believe and do what you do and act like you act. And, and, and you think that they'll never come home. And I want to talk to those of you who know that you're not perfect, that know that you're broken. And, and see, I'm, I'm going to change the tone a little bit because I didn't just come today to just encourage you and make you feel good about yourself, where you just leave out of this building on a spiritual high and say, man, that was an incredible service I went to. What an awesome Easter. Let me tell you why. Because feeling good about yourself doesn't change your life. And so... In order for you and I to actually be changed, it starts with seeing that we need to be changed. And so what I want to do is I want to take a look at a passage in Ephesians chapter 2 where a guy named Paul, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, it was an ordinary guy, but um, a guy named Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. And in Ephesians chapter 2, it's one of my one of my favorite passages, it's the passage that changed my life. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. He says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. What's he talking about? He's talking about you and I falling short into temptation, doing what makes us feel good. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all followed and, and done what our flesh would like to do, he says, and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, this doesn't sound like good news, does it? Because see, what Paul is doing is he's saying that you were dead in your sin. That you and I are actually, we're, we're dead because we're sinners. See, Jesus didn't just come to make good people or bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And so he says, you and I were dead in our sin. And because we were dead in our sin, we're deserving of the wrath of God. Now, I know this ain't popular preaching because people want to people go, oh, no, no, you have no right, Cody, to tell me that I'm not a good person. I'm a good person. I got a good heart. Like, I'm better than a lot of people. Like, don't stand up there and tell me that I'm deserving of wrath. Who, who, who do you think you are? Look me, look, look me in the eyes right now. You are not a good person. See, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old and an eight-month-year-old, and the thing I didn't have to take my, teach my two-and-a-half-year-old to do is sin. I didn't have to teach him to be selfish. That boy will not share his toys with you. <laughs> He's getting better. See, why? Because in the garden, in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve, they failed and they sinned, the rest of humanity is now under the curse of sin, and so you and I are born sinners. I know that because your mama and daddy's a sinner, and your grandparents are a sinner, and so on and so on and so on. So you and I are born with a sinful nature opposed from God. And he says, because we're sinners, and maybe you're like, I don't even believe that. I was born a good person, and I learned it in culture. Fine. The truth is, is that you're still a sinner. And because you've sinned, you deserve the wrath of God. That's what Paul's saying. Welcome to Easter at Renovation Church where I make you feel good about yourself. 
So let's take a little test. Let's have a little fun, okay? Maybe it's not that fun. We're gonna play a little game. If you don't like games, that's okay. You're here anyway. You might as well play along, all right? So here's what we're gonna do. I want you to raise your hand. I'm gonna ask some questions. And I want you to raise your hand. Uh, and, and here's the first question. How many of you have ever told a lie? Lift your hand. Keep them up. I want you to keep them up. Now, look around. Anybody with their hand down, just point at them and say, liar, liar, pants on fire. You're lying. All right, put your hands down. Here's the second question. This one ain't as fun, but be honest with me because healing starts with honesty and all that. So here's what I want you to do. Um, how many of you have ever stolen something? Lift your hand. A pen from Wilson Bank. Don't lie. <laughs> Took that mug. You didn't give it back. All right. Put your hands down. Now, here's the deal. This last one, do not lift your hand. I ain't trying to start no fights on Easter weekend. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not playing with y'all. Do not lift. Look, if it applies to you, just look at me. Don't look at your partner. Look at me. This me. You can wink. You can do something. Just don't let nobody. How many of you have ever lusted before? That's right. <laughs> she said, I ain't got a partner. I did. So. By admission, that was just like three. I could ask questions and come to your neighborhood too, I promise. Somebody's like, well, I've never done those. You're lying. That's the first one. You broke it. James says, if you broke one of the laws, you've broken them all and you're guilty and deserving of wrath. So what that makes you and me, because I'm guilty and you're guilty, is a lying, thieving, adulterous. So he says, you were dead because of your sin. And here's why this is important for you to understand. Because so oftentimes, listen, guilt is oftentimes the starting point for grace. And if you never see yourself as a sinner, you'll never see your, your need for a savior. And so you and I just got to start there and acknowledge the fact that we're not perfect. So listen, you can sit there and, and, and polish your halo, baby girl, all day long. But the truth is, Jesus didn't come for people who think that they're righteous and don't need him. He came for sinners like me. Amen. So he says, you were. Now, I don't know what you were. I don't have to know. And for some of us, it's not I was, it is I am. I don't know what you were. I don't know what you are. I don't know what you struggle with. I don't know what you used to struggle with. But what Paul says next is so important. He says, you were dead because of your sin, but God. Somebody say, but God. But God, but God. I'm so thankful for the but God. See, the man that's writing this is a man named Paul. And before he was Paul, he was Saul. Clever name. Switch one letter. It's fine, Jesus. I see you. Um, and Saul, what he would do is he would persecute Christians. And now when I say persecute, I'm not just talking about making mean comments on Facebook, okay? What I'm talking about is this guy would 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 terrorize, he would throw them in prison, he would have them beaten, he would have them killed. He was literally murdering Christians, taking anyone out that was following Jesus. This would be similar to, to today's reality that some, some people in the world are experiencing right now where people are taking them down to the beach, putting things over their head, making them kneel down and say, confess. And if they confess the name of Jesus, they're beheaded. That's all. Except he wasn't beheading people. Instead, he was getting all of his religious friends around and he would have people kneel down and they would stone them to death for hours until they breathed their last breath. This is the man that's writing this. 
And see, he was on his road to Damascus to talk to the high priest to persecute the church and figure out how they can wipe people out. And on his way to Damascus, God literally knocks him off his horse and he falls down and he hears a voice from heaven and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who is it? And he says, the one you are persecuting. And in that moment, God causes Saul to go blind. He, he could see, but now in this moment, he can't see. And so God says, what I want you to do, Saul, is there's going to be a man named Ananias that I want you to go see, and he's going to welcome you into his house. And so Saul begins his journey blindly being led to Ananias's house. And he shows up at Ananias's house, and Ananias had every single right to turn him away because, because Saul deserved punishment. Ananias had heard about Saul. He was fully aware of the, the cruel things that he was doing. But Ananias did something different that changed Saul's life. When Saul got to his house, Ananias welcomes him in and he puts his hand on him and he prays over him. And as he prays over him, it says that something like scales fell off of Saul's eyes. And he says, I once was blind, but now I see. But God. Paul says that I was the worst. I was the, the one that was cruel to Christians. I was killing Christians. I was the worst sinner of them all. I deserve the wrath of God, but God, but God who is rich in mercy and he loved us so much. Verse five, in that while you and I were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When? When he raised Christ from the dead. See, today, for some of you, it's going to be your but God moment. Not only were you dead, but you still are. And you've walked in here thinking, you know, I could never, could never be changed. Maybe like, like Paul, who was religious, See, some of you, it's easy to look at somebody's testimony when they have a radical transformation. The more challenging thing is for those of you who grew up in church and you think you have all the answers and you know all the verses and you've heard this story a hundred times and you think, I don't need him, I'm good. I believed in Jesus since I was a baby. See, there's a difference in saying that you believe in Jesus and acknowledging him and believing Jesus and following him. Even the demons believe and shudder. You don't think Satan knows Jesus is who he says he is? But God, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you were. I don't know what you're struggling with. You may have walked in here without hope. You may have walked in here thinking you could never change, that nothing will ever get better, that you'll never feel loved, that you'll never feel accepted. You, you may have tried everything you could. You've went to church after church after church, Bible study after Bible study. You listen to worship music. But the reality is, friend, is you're still sitting at home and late at night, you know there's something still missing. It's because you're still dead, but God. See, your never isn't the same as his never. He says, I know you think that I'll leave you because of your failure. But just because you failed, that doesn't mean it's who you are. 
See, with Jesus, failure is never final. He has the final say. He's always faithful. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, but God, who is rich in mercy, who loved you so much, but God says that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But God, failure is never final. But God has the final say. But God looked at Satan and said, I know you think I'll never be back, but my never is different than your never. Is anybody thankful for the grace of God? But God, you need to look at the situation you're in that you think is impossible. And you just need to declare those two little words over it. But God, I know you think it can't get better. I know that it looks dead, but with God, resurrection has a new meaning. So what do you do? That was the question I asked at 19 years old when I had a friend of mine open the Bible and start to read this to me. And I knew at that moment, I was like, you're right. I, I'm not only bad, I'm dead. I'm hopeless. I've tried it all. I believe I am, des I am deserving of the punishment. He says, but God, who's rich in mercy, who loved you so much that while you were dead in your sin, loved you anyway. You mean, let me tell you what I love about the gospel. You may have been dead in your sin, but God sees you as you are, loves you as you are, and will save you as you are, but loves you way too much to keep you as you are. But God, the next thing he says in verse eight, by grace, somebody say by grace, by grace, say by grace. You were, say you were, but God by grace, not by your works, not by your religion, not by trying harder, not by doing good, not by tithing, by grace. There was a man in the 1700s, his name was John and he worked on this ship and John was one of the most evil men probably one of the most evil men to walk the earth. I mean, people absolutely hated him. He, he, he had one of the worst mouths. He was abusive to people. He, he was hateful to people. He would hurt people. And, 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 and everybody on his cruise ship, every single worker that worked alongside him could not stand him so much so that he, they, they nicknamed him the great blasphemer. Like he would say these awful things about God and his, his captain actually said, he said that his language was so bad that he exceeded the limits of verbal debauchery. You ever heard the term, the, the, the term cuss like a sailor? That's John. Like his crewmates hated him so much that one time he fell overboard and instead of throwing him life rafts, they threw harpoons at him. Hated him. So much so that his captain got so sick and tired of the way he was treating everybody else on the ship that he decided to strip him down and flog him eight dozen times in front of 350 men. This guy was the worst of the worst. And he hated his captain for it. And so he came up with this plan and he decided, he, he said, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna murder him 
and then I'm gonna take my own life. But before he could execute his plan, a great storm happened when they were on sea. And it was this storm as they're trying to keep the ship from, from, from tumbling over. His best friend, the one person that did like him, that did deal with him, that was almost just as bad, gets thrown over the ship and he's never to be seen again. And then this guy named John, the one that blasphemed God, the one that hated God and everything he stood for, in his greatest moment of desperation, in his greatest fear, he cries out to the very God that he had been hating. They survived the storm. And after they make it to, to land, he, he realized that in my greatest moment of fear, in my greatest moment of desperation, I asked for help from the very God I hated. And so he began to, he began to read scripture and the word of God transformed his life. And after that moment, he put pen to paper and he wrote like this, this really powerful, I guess, poem or song. Stuart, you know it, don't you? How's it go? Yeah. What can what? No, that's not it, is it? Oh. was the guy yeah you can clap this was the guy that was transformed by the grace of God somebody say by grace there was a woman in scripture who was caught in the act of adultery she had made a big mistake and the religious leaders take her in front of a crowd of people and in front of Jesus and they look at Jesus and they say the scriptures say to stoner Jesus what do you say and in that moment Jesus kneels down and he begins to write in the sand and we don't know what he says, but all of a sudden what we do know is that the oldest of the crew started to walk away one by one. And as he writes in the sand, he looks at the woman and says, woman, where are your accusers? Do any of them condemn you? And she says, no. He says, neither do I. Go, be free, and sin no more. By grace. 
there was a story of two sons in scripture and the younger one decided he wanted his father's inheritance. And so he, he decides to take his inheritance and he runs away from home and he blows it all on partying. He blows it on prostitutes. He finds himself empty, broke. And then he's at this point in his life where he, he's at one of those crossroad moments. He's at one of those moments that some of you may be like today. And, and he says, you know, I, I may just decide to go home and be with my father. Maybe he'll hire me back as a servant. So I don't have to sit here and eat with these pigs because I'm, I'm so broke, I'm so low, I'm so guilty, I'm so full of shame. And so he begins to, to, to walk back home on this road. And as he's on this road, he probably was doing what some of you are doing, thinking that you gotta muster up an apology that's good enough to get your father to love you. That's good enough to somehow convince God that you're not that bad of a person. God doesn't need to be convinced you're not a bad person. God knows that you're a dead person. But the thing is, is as he comes home, his father doesn't wait for an apology from him. Instead, he runs to his son, wraps his arms around him, and he says, this is my son who was dead, but now he's alive, who was blind, but now he sees welcome home. By grace, not by works. I think the greatest display of grace that we see in scripture is the moment with Jesus on that Friday when he was crucified, beaten, stripped, stabbed, flogged, spit upon, mocked. You know, Jesus wasn't the only one hanging on the cross that day. There were two other criminals on each side. And there's this really interesting moment before Jesus breathed his last breath and declared that it is finished. There's this interaction that happens between these two criminals on both sides of the cross. And, and I wanna read it to you because I think that it's powerful. And uh, I really do believe that there's only two responses today to this message. And I'm gonna read you the two responses that these men had. And then you can decide what your response will be. Luke 23 verse 39 says this, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you were under the same sentence, we're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said this, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, you will be with me in heaven. Today, you will spend eternity with me. And see, so you, you have two responses today. There's two criminals in the room, but, but make no mistake, both are guilty. See, Jesus was on the cross and he was innocent. They were on the cross, they were guilty. He was on the cross and didn't deserve it. They were on the cross and did deserve it. And the first one says, prove it. You say you're God, get down and save us too. Pride, you know. For years of my life, that was what stopped me from receiving the gift of God, pride. Because I thought, you know, I'm not that bad of a person. 
you know, I'm, I'm better than most people. I, I don't do that kind of crazy. I'm not cutting ears off, Peter. It was pride. I thought, you know, I really don't need him. I mean, it would be nice. But me, mm, never. Some of you walked in and you're saying, mm, I'm here. But me, never. I'm not falling for all that. Me, never. I don't need him. And then there's others of you that are sitting right next to that person that say, you know, I desperately need him. I'm hurting and I'm broken. And maybe for you, you're not that bad of a person in the world's eyes. Maybe you're really religious. You know it was the religious that cried crucify, right? And, uh, but your response is different. Your response says, Jesus, will you remember me? Because I'm guilty and I need you to save me. Scripture says that anyone who confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the grave will be saved. And it was this next verse in Ephesians 2 that saved my life. He says, you were dead, but God, by grace, are saved. Are saved. It's the difference in Jesus and every other religion. All religions don't lead to the same place, friends. Jesus says he is the way, the life, and the truth, and no one goes to the Father except through him. And the good news is, is you may be going, what do I got to do? And the answer is nothing. It's already been done. We were raised to life. When? When Jesus rose from the grave. And on that Sunday morning, the women come and they are checking the tomb and an angel says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. See, death thought it had the final say. But Jesus says, me? Never. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And I am alive. And I want a relationship with you. And so right now, I want to give you the opportunity to receive his grace, to be made alive in Christ. Nothing you got to do, just receive the gift of God and say, God, here I am. Will you remember me? Will you save me from my sin? I give you my life today. And if that's you, I want to pray for you right now. So would you pray with me? God, I ask that you pour out your spirit right now in this place. I thank you that I, that we, even though we were dead in our sin and running from you and the worst of the worst, even though we were dead in our religion, dead in our good deeds, dead in our morality, even though we were dead, but you stepped in and you came to the earth and you lived the life that we couldn't live and you died the death that we deserved and not only for us, but instead of us. Some of you need to hear that. He died instead of you. And by grace, by your grace, by your unmerited, ridiculous favor, nothing we can do, nothing we can earn, nothing we can say can change you. Listen, God, I, I thank you that, that you, that you save us by grace. 
And so right now, I want to pray for those who are saying, I received that gift today. My response is, Jesus, remember me. I want a relationship with you. I'm broken. If that's you right now, I would love for you to pray this with me. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it in your spirit. But I want to give you the opportunity just to align your heart with God's and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, that, that God raised him from the dead, and that he is the resurrection. He is risen today, and you want a relationship with him. If that's you right now, with every head bowed and eyes closed, will you just lift your hand if you're saying, today I receive Jesus? Oh, come on. Hands going up all over the room. God, I thank you for hand, every hand lifted here today. Church, will you pray this out loud for the benefit of those who have their hand raised right now? Will you say this with me? Say, God, I love you. Today, I believe that you are the resurrection, that you went to the cross, but you rose from the grave. Today, I give you my life. Save me from my sin. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, put your hands together for everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the message today. If it encouraged you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Send us an email to stories at renovation.church. And if you'd like to partner with us financially and help us continue to reach people all over the world, you can do that by going to our website, renovation.church give. Have a blessed day.